This archival program of Design Matters with Debbie Millman was produced for Voice America Internet Radio. New programs with better audio quality are now being produced for Design Observer. You can subscribe in the iTunes Store or at the Observer Media Channel on Design Observer. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. I often think about how we know the things that we know. For example, I know what I know. I know I am a woman. I know that I am left-handed. I know that I have two dogs and two cats. I also know what I don't know. I know that I will never be a brain surgeon. I know that no matter how much I wish I could, I will never win an Olympic medal. And I know, however humiliating it might be, that I can't speak a second language. But what I think about a lot, in fact, what I'm rather obsessed by, are the things that I don't know that I don't know. I call these unseen things. I've selected this term primarily because after the initial thrill of learning something new, or simply becoming aware of something for the first time, I find that those very same things have actually been surrounding me for years. I just never noticed them before, yet they were there. One of the great ironies in this relentlessly visual culture we live in is that so few people know how to see, or at least how to see beyond what is viewed in prearranged form through a car window, an iPod, or a television screen. Why is that? Why have we become a culture of unseers? John Stilgo is a popular Harvard professor and author of several books, including one of my favorites. It's called Outside Lies Magic, Regaining History and Awareness in Everyday Places. He believes that the power of acute observation is one of nature's most useful tools in learning. Stilgo tries to teach another way of knowing beyond words and numbers. Essentially, he believes that people are so focused on a goal or zeroing in on what appears to be obvious that they miss what is right in front of them. Rather than not being able to see the forest for the trees, they are unable to see the trees for the forest. Stilgo attributes this to the constant blur of modern life. I think there are several reasons for our collective inability to see the unseen. The first and more obvious explanation is we are surrounded by a world of activity and events that can't be seen. The intricate forms and patterns produced by the splash of a raindrop or the volley of a tennis ball occur too quickly for our eyes to catch. But the other more complicated and compelling rationale is that we only choose to see the things we know and can understand and relate to. It is this basic comfort zone that curtails exposure to new experiences or discovering what we don't know that we don't know. In our day-to-day usage, objectivity is the capacity to see things as they are. In our culture, we strive for objectivity, i.e. what is true and what is fair and what is clear. There is an emphasis on seeing things that can be reliably correlated with observable reality to the extent possible. But what about our claims on what we might believe are objective and true but can't be reliably correlated? Seeing the unseen involves approaching a view of the world from multiple angles, multiple points of view, subjectively. 
I can understand why more of us don't strive for subjectivity. Even the dictionary definition treats it like a mean stepsister. The modern definition of subjective is, get this, moodily introspective or existing only in the mind, illusory. I think that subjectivity is the search for the unseen. It is a quest for the unrecorded point of view, for the supposed bad idea in the back of your head, for the unproven, the unvalidated, the non-quantified. It is only when we reach for these ideas that we have even the slightest possibility of ever knowing what we don't know that we don't know. In the grand scheme of things, I think that the poet Raina Maria Rilke says it better than I ever could. Have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the designer, Karen Goldberg. Before we get started with today's interview, please let me tell you a bit more about her. And please know, listeners, that this is a rather edited biography. It's much deeper than this, and I'm sure we'll get to a lot more of all of the incredible accomplishments that Karen has had over her career. Karen Goldberg was educated at the Cooper Union School of Art with 30 years experience in graphic design. Her background includes design and advertising for major publishing, music, and television corporations. From the mid-70s to the early 80s, she worked as a staff designer for CBS Television, CBS Records, and Atlantic Records. In 1982, she established Karen Goldberg Design, where her clients have included Simon & Schuster, Random House, Condé Nast, Martha Stewart, HarperCollins, and None Such Records. She also served as the creative director at Timing Custom Publishing. For the past 24 years, she has taught typography and senior portfolio at the School of Visual Arts. Karen's work has been consistently chosen in design competitions and has been shown in, in museums all over the world. She is a recipient of the Silver Medal from the Art Directors Club and has twice received Publishing's Literary Marketplace Award. Karen has also authored two books, Catalog Published in 2001, and the forthcoming home. Welcome, Karen. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, total pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, Karen, I'd like to start out by asking you about a line that I read about you in your juror's bio on the American Institute of Graphic Arts website. So this is, this is the quote. Having had enough of the sexist, bureaucratic, and incestuous corporate life, Goldberg started her own business. Can you share some or, or any or all of what provoked that statement? Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. Let's just jump right in there. Yeah, can of worms. Um, well, you know, I mean, I think that most everybody who's been in corporate life could probably um, relate to any one of those words um, at some point. I think that it probably comes directly out of um, the um, experience that I had you know, working in the record business on some level, um, because um, as, as fantastic as the experience was, and um, grateful that I am to it, you know, it was in the '70s. It was, you know, right smack in the middle of um, the cliched music business uh, excess, and um, 
it was really kind of my first, uh, aside from my very first job, which was at, in the um, television department. Um, Lou Dorfman gave me my first job, um, and that was a bit more sober, I would say, literally and figuratively. Um, there was a lot of, you know, things that, that come with corporate life, and then it was, I think, magnified by being in that extreme kind of business, the music business. And, um, you know, it, it is sexist. It was sexist. It still is, you know, sexist on, on, on many levels. And um, it's that in its... Um, in its product, but it's also in in the way uh, you know people behave internally. Um, it's it's everything that's a cliche, and then it's you know much more sort of um, particular in in you know everyone's individual experience certainly. But um, that's probably where it comes from. That that particular quote. <laughs> <laughs> now, when after you got the job with Lou Dorfman, I understand that you were working at that time in an all male, old school cut and paste bullpen at the time doing. I, I was, and yeah. you know, it was interesting about that, and that's that's really kind of funny in that um, the men there. Although I will tell you that there were, uh, it's very generational that different levels of sexism in the way women are treated. Um, there was a sort of um, politeness to it that, and uh, a kind of, I would say, we'll call it that, call it erudite sexism. Um, where, <laughs> more dignified, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had, and I was younger, but I was probably a bit more intimidated maybe then too, but or naive is probably more like it. But they were um, really lovely people, uh, lovely men, if you want to give them the best you know, description, and, and I made, uh, I learned quite a bit from them. They were generous to me. I felt welcome, and um, I did not feel uh, that they were in any way, um, you know, uh, infantilizing me there or looking down at me or in, in any way. Um, I'm not going to tell you there weren't times when things happened that, uh, uh, you know, which were sort of classic, you know, like getting a wet kiss on the back of my neck from my boss, purely out of thinking that he's thinking that it was cute, but it was, you know, in my view, completely gross. And um, I remember the very first job I had, and this was before Lou. Um, This was just for a tiny, tiny firm um, in Midtown, and uh, I was really, like, right, you know, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed then. And um, I remember this guy sitting me down and, and... telling me about his wife and telling me about how he loves his wife. And, and I'm sitting there. I mean, imagine me, you know, with my, like, long hippie hair and jeans and you know, naive as hell, but really not naive, naive I think, in the end. And he, before I know it, he's telling me about how he likes to, you know, jump into a pool and feel the water rushing through his balls, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't as if I'd, I hadn't had that experience. And, I, of course, it was great conversation certainly but that was that was kind of this this notion that somehow or other it was appropriate to share that kind of information with me and um but to differentiate i think the music business and and oddly i had mostly women in the department that i worked with well when you were at cbs you were with paula share and that's right which was a kind of but it was run by one male and so that in itself became a kind of odd uh, you know, patriarchy of sorts, uh, 
with all kinds of levels of what that means and how as one of uh, uh, one woman in a group of women related to that 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 kind of you know iconic figure and i think that's what you know kind of changed the the dynamic of that um you know whereas at cbs television you know it was mostly men and i also think because of the subject matter and the the general tenor of the place um it you know it was a different kind of response to to women and also you know how women respond to women as well changes the the uh the tenor yeah you know, of of the environment well, we'll come back uh, after our break and uh, love to talk to you more about that as well as uh, what you feel, how you feel about the current environment of the graphic design community. I'd like to let everybody know that they are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the designer, Karen Goldberg. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages. So please don't... Listen wherever you are. 24-hour business and financial news. Solid, focused, and informed. The leader in business talk. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Hi, this is Scott Biondich, Global Packaging Manager at the Coca-Cola Company. And I'm really excited about the upcoming Fuse Brand Identity and Package Design event in New York City this April. I'll be there revealing the critical steps to developing differentiated and preferred packaging for consumers around the world. Design gurus Rem Koolhaas and Philippe Stark, as well as brand leaders from Method, Nike, and Target, will go in-depth into the most pressing issues we face. They'll deliver cutting-edge ideas that demonstrate brand growth and bottom-line impact through innovative strategy and design. For more information, call 888-670-8200. Visit www.iirusa.com forward slash BIPD or send an email to register at iirusa.com. Mention that you heard about the event from Design Matters and you'll receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. Hey, rise to the challenge. I look forward to seeing you in the Big Apple this April 24th through the 26th at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. Tune into Small Business Trends Radio with Anita Campbell every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Each week, Anita and expert guests provide a big picture view of the small business market, identifying the trends and major events driving the robust growth of the small business market. Whether you are a small business owner or a company of any size desiring to sell small businesses or reach the small business market with the product or service, Small Business Trends Radio is your resource for trends that influence the global small business market. Right here on the Bottom line for business talk, Voice America Business. Achieve total wealth management. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Roy Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern on Business America Radio. Three Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a values based approach to comprehensive total wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road of financial independence. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Roy Diefendorf Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific. 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, businessamericaradio.com. The bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. 
If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Milman. Welcome back. It is 3.18 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the designer, Karen Goldberg. If you'd like to join our conversation, our phone lines are open. Let me give you a new number to call. It is 866-233-7861. And uh, before the break, we were talking, Karen and I, about some of... Karen's early experiences in design, and Karen, it seems as if you have had a career that has um, some really interesting defining moments in it, and I was, uh, in my research, when we were doing research on you, um, we read Ellen Lupton's interview with you on her site, Design Writing Research, and she describes your career as follows. Uh, the remarkable career of Karen Goldberg reflects one woman's ability to tap into her cultural moment and create a series of icons that have functioned in the brutal arena of retail sales while also engaging head-on the cultural debates internal to the design profession. Would, would you agree with that? Do you think that that's true? Oh, well, I think that any kind of um, uh, criticism or writing about um, design in retrospect is, you know, it's it's very different than you know living through it. I, I never had any intention of any of this. I don't think any any designer or artist does that they they don't know what they're doing. They just kind of get it thrown at them and then they react. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose in you know as I said in retrospect that now if I look at it or you know read Ellen's article or whatever or try to assess it myself, that yes, I, I think I could probably say that's true um, because it may be something that is um, very parallel to my personality but it's it's like you know it's like going into psychotherapy in some way you don't you don't discover those things until you know you've talked them through and and uh, then you kind of realize like you know oh yeah duh but <laughs> I but I I uh, yes I'd, I'd say that was true but but the intention God knows I, I think I was just uh, um, like anybody would probably admit that they're out there by the seat of their pants, you know, and that they're driven by a certain need uh, to make things or solve problems or make a living or whatever it is that, that drives them, you know. Well, I think I think that one of the things that, that Ellen was referring to was the uproar that was created, I guess it was in the mid-'80s over the cover that you did for Raina Maria Rilke's Sonnets to uh. Orpheus where you borrowed, um, I believe you borrowed from the graphic style of the Vienna Secession, creating a, a really sort of dense and ornamental yeah. lettering with some heavy linear framework. And I know that at the time, Tibor Kalman lambasted the cover for what he called pillaging history mm-hmm. at that year's AIGA National Conference. And yet you responded, I thought you responded in a very dignified manner with a very, you know, wonderful sense of humor at the whole thing and can you give us some some more insight into what turned out to be a time that really I think epitomized the division in the design world over one style versus another well you know I think um, certainly we've heard uh, Paula and uh, Louise and you know people who are from that time talk about our influences I think that you know, when I was at CBS Records, um, there was a um, a room and a and a, a kind of picture editor there, who who uh, the, in the room. You know, he was our our research guy. His name was Lester, 
And, you know, he would collect just books and books and books and books and books. And I'd never seen that many, you know, um, art books and old Grabosch graphics. And um, and I think that it was a kind of, um, you know, if you want to call it postmodern, go right ahead. It's kind of, you know, enough already, but all right, we'll, <laughs> we'll give it a name. Who knew it was called postmodern? I think it was just one, uh, you know, period in time that, uh, and, and this very kind of fertile environment of amazingly smart people at CBS Records, you know, that I was working with and very talented people like Henrietta Kondak and Paula and Krista Stopchuk who came slightly after me and, um, you know, I mean, this, there's a legacy there and, and, uh, I think that uh, we were curious and we were continuing our education. I think of it as like graduate school. I didn't go to graduate school. Um, I didn't even think to go to graduate school. I just thought, get out of get out of Cooper. I wasn't even a graphic design student when I graduated. What were you? I was a painter. I thought I wanted to be a painter. And uh, it was to, only to my last year that I took a couple of courses. And frankly, Cooper at the time that I was at Cooper didn't really offer much graphic design. Um, which is another conversation. But um, so it was just a the next level of discovery. And all the people up there were just sort of voraciously looking through these books um, and, you know, solving problems based on what stylistically made sense to a cover. I mean, we didn't have jewel boxes at that time. It was just a 12 by 12 square of cardboard where bells and whistles were not going to happen. I mean, you weren't going to be able to do, you know, things other than print fairly straight on. And um, so they became very poster-like. They were large. And therefore, you, you were, we were looking at things that were posters to sort of, you know, uh, use, let's call it vernacular, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes when you're doing a jazz cover or you're doing – um, any number of things. There's a certain style and a time frame and a time period. And so um, it was fun. I mean, it was really learning about type and learning about what you could do with it and learning about form. And I don't think any of us thought about what we were doing, you know, historically or in terms of, like, you know, what was good for graphic design. Or but you were taking it. some chances. I mean, oh, obviously oh, you felt like you had the courage to do that. Oh, it was all about that. But being in the music business is all about that. It's all about what... Not anymore. Well, no, 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 no. But that that time it was all about, yeah. you know, turning things upside down and really trying to make statements. And it was all about, you know, um, you know kind of your own... Um, virtuosity, <laughs> you know, coming to the forefront because that, that was like a, an amazing place, a canvas for you to express, um, you know, your, your uh, you know, kind of artistic talents, for lack of a better description, and as well as solving problems and having fun and, you know, working with people that you just always admired. And, you know, it's all of that. It's very youth-driven and, I mean, it's, it's a, it was a real fantasy and, and, a, and a goal uh, to be able to do covers. And so when I when I went from record covers to book jackets, which seemed to me would be the, the you know was the next obvious move, except that it was moving from a square to a rectangle. Although I will tell you, it took me about a year and a half to convince um, book jacket people to give me a book cover. Why? Because they couldn't make the leap. Um, Louise Feely was one of the first, and um, 
the, a couple of people up at Knopf gave me a chance, and that was that broke me through, you know, mm-hmm. made me cross over. But, uh, you know, people take things very literally out there, and they, mm-hmm. they said, well, gee, can you do a book cover? And I thought, you know, hello. But that's kind of commonplace, I found out. And so once, of course, I got that opportunity, uh, the books kept start to fly in. And what I found was that if you're doing a Rilke cover like that, for example, um, that you're, you're, you're basically you're putting a new face on it, but you are also you know, you're solving problems that make sense to the um, the time period. At least that was the way we looked at it. Now, I I will personally tell you that you know I've changed too, and that I've moved with the times, and I probably wouldn't necessarily solve that problem the same way that I did in 1982 or whenever it was that I did that cover. Mm-hmm. But what I did was look at all of the the art and design that was relevant to, you know, that uh, you try to connect the, the dots and you go back and you, you do a little research and, and, you know, I was looking at the secessionists in the Wiener Werkstatt School and what I did know was don't try to fake it. If you're going to pull from it and grab it by the neck, you know, go for the jugular. And mm-hmm. that, in that, don't fake the type. Don't don't make it kind of sort of look like it. Do it. You know, bring it to the surface. Because the truth is that you know somebody reading a book may not have any um, uh, knowledge of the Wiener Werkstatt. That's like a that's a very rarefied kind of you know. Um, a thing to know, and and so in a way, it is unearthing something, uh, or it was unearthing something. For me, it was unearthing something. So if it was for me new, then imagine how new it would be for, you know, potential readers or people that are perusing a bookshelf. So, um, I felt it was a kind of historical education, and also tried to apply it in the right places at the right time. Um, you know, I got slammed for Ulysses, mm-hmm. and. Um, it was an interesting problem in that um, when I had gotten the cover to, you know, the assignment to do, uh, the the brief was very clearly stated: we don't want anything other than for you to work with the big U because we want the tradition of a large, you know, typographic U, especially because the one previous to that was done by um, uh, McKnight Kiefer. Mm-hmm. And we want you to work on the next iteration of that. And so there was no content asked for, and I felt that that was perfectly fine. I wasn't going to argue with them about it um, and try to do something that was more sort of illustrative or narrative or whatever it is you want to, you know, uh, bring out from Ulysses. And so I felt that um, at that point it was really more about how one plays with that letter form in a modern context. I mean, in, in truth, you know, Joyce was considered a modern writer. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. So where do you, how do you take that into something that is considered modern? And at that time, you know, I was looking at posters, whether they be from the Bauhaus or De Stiel or whatever, and that to me seemed the de- definition of modern. Um, and, and when I took it, you know, I definitely took it, I, although I did many, many comps that had to do with the U that were extrapolations. Some of them were like literally like, you know, completely pulled from a poster but with slightly changed, you know, 
and, and I'm not saying plagiarize so much as, you know, let's call it an homage, right? But I, did, I did many. I did many, and, and uh, they went for that one. So the backstory is always kind of, you know, something you never have, of course, the opportunity to talk about. But um, and you shouldn't. I mean, it's never. It's not. That's not what designers uh, should be doing. But there is always a little bit of a backstory to this kind of stuff. And I, again, I'm not in defensive about it, and I never have been. In fact, um, I don't ever want to be because I think that whatever was going on at the time was meant to be. And it wasn't just me. It was a wave of stuff. And I think that Tibor certainly, you know, turned uh, turned things around and was very influential and. All that, but as I said in the article, and I'm, I have great, I take great pleasure in saying it, that he basically pillaged, you know, the vernacular. So, um, no one is as much of an, as an inventor, inventor as they, you know, think they are. I think we all are pillagers in some form or another. Um, but although I, you know, I have to say I'm, I'm very, uh, I feel very flattered that I am in the transcript actually in his book. You know, there's this, the, I don't know if you know that 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 whole AIGA thing was in yes in in Tibor's book yeah perverse optimist yeah yeah yep I love that I love it <laughs> Karen we have to take a break okay. I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business I am your host Debbie Millman and my guest today is designer Karen Goldberg we have a number of people on the line waiting to speak with Karen we'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages please don't go away. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Hello, I'm Sharon Ryder Lindbergh from Unilever North America. I'll be speaking at Fuse Brand Identity and Package Design event in April at the Waldorf Astoria in New York City. I'll be discussing the development and the rollout of the new Hellman's Global Brand Identity. Fuse is the destination for brand design leaders. Will you be there? Visit www.iirusa.com backslash BIPD or call 888-670-8200 to find out more about this great event. Consider this an investment in your brand's future. Clear your calendar and prepare to walk away with inspiration, insight, and creative new ideas to implement when you return to the office. Stay at the top of your game. Visit www.iirusa.com backslash BIPD today. Mention design and you'll receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. Look forward to seeing you in New York in, in April. Mind Your Business with Danielle Hampson talks about the nuts and bolts of starting, running, and expanding a business. From time management, leadership, sales, marketing, and customer service to office management using technology, business plans, accounting, taxes, and networking. Danielle and her expert guests share their years of experience on a variety of topics. Tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel for Mind Your Business with Danielle Hampson. Useful tips, authoritative advice, creative solutions. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. 
You work hard, and you need to take time to relax and rejuvenate yourself. Travel is one of the most effective and gratifying ways to achieve this. Tune into Travel Connections with Judy every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Your host, Judy Jackson, will teach you how you can enhance your lifestyle through travel. Travel Connections will also bring you the latest news on what's hot and exciting in vacation and travel trends. So tune in to Travel Connections with Judy every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on Voice America Business. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Live from the Empire State Building, you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the only talk radio show on the Internet focusing on issues relating to graphic design, branding, and culture. I am Debbie Millman. Your host and my guest today is designer Karen Goldberg. If you'd like to join our conversation, please call 866-233-7861. And I believe we have a couple of callers that have been very patiently holding First, Gregory from New York. Welcome to Design Matters. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Karen. Hello. Hello. Uh, uh, it, this goes right with what you were saying before. Um, I'm 45, and the first CD I ever owned, I was over 30 years old. And uh, I know that part of the excitement when we were growing up and buying albums was it wasn't just to get the record and listen to the music. It, the part of it was just the devouring of the album cover, mm-hmm. uh, the liner notes and the art and everything. And since the dawning of CDs, you know, I, I guess would you agree that obviously the, the art of the album cover is kind of lost? And do you think people, when they buy CDs, get the same excitement and pour over the liner notes if they can even see them? Um, well, I, I think it's absolutely so that the art of the album cover is is, is not you know, in our daily lives anymore for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's gone. I also think that the art of the CD cover is on its way out right now too. So I, I don't think that that has a whole lot of life. You know, maybe we're talking five years or something, you know. And why do you think that is? Well, because of, uh, the you know, online, uh, buying and, and listening. Right. I think that that's, uh, that's, that's, we're in it. We're in it. Um, I don't know if people – I just remember lying on my bed and holding the cover <laughs> and reading it and looking at the picture of Carly Simon right. and, you know, and singing, listening to the music. And, you know, it's like a, it was like theater for me. It was my uh, way of, you know, uh, entertaining myself. It was um, well, it visual was and it was uh, wasn't it? You know? audible. Sorry? It was part of the whole experience. Totally, totally. Yeah. You know, you you close the door of your room and then you got completely immersed in in the graphics and and uh, whatever you could possibly pull from whatever 
liner notes or credits that you could imagine who this person was, Joni Mitchell, whatever. Um, I don't know about the CDs. I, I don't I have to say I, I wasn't uh, young enough to have the time or the interest to lie in my bed and look at CDs, but, and, I, and I, so I don't know. But I think that uh, it's it's in the way, you know, it's, the, it's almost like the dimensions of a book when you hold it in your hand. If you open a book, it's almost got the same kind of scale as a, as a record cover. There's something about the way you hold that object, whereas the CD package is... Um, you know, it's smaller than your head, you know, and it, 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 it has a different kind of intimacy that I think only a generation that's grown up with it probably can describe. Um, because it's not mine, I, I have, it's, you know, I have a distance from it, so I can't really tell you that I feel that uh, emotional about it. Do you think that's going to happen with um, book jackets? Uh, probably later on down the road, but sure, absolutely. I mean, they're developing... Uh, all kinds of um, technology so that you can read, um, you know, uh, dig- you know, tech- uh, digitally. Sure. Do you think that there's any kind of hope for the future that um, there's any way to preserve that or to um, to inspire that again, or do you think it will just die away? Oh, I think there's always some place. There's there's too much, uh, too many people, and too much uh, need for expression in some form whether you go back and start painting on rocks again it's it's it, it, it's it'll find its place um we're always very nostalgic about what we're losing and what we've lost and uh you know people find a way to uh you know either sell something market something express their their voice uh, you know it's very hard to predict how but i don't think that it's it's over. <laughs> well, those are great words of encouragement. Thank you, Karen, very, very much. Thanks, well, Debbie. Thanks for Thank you for calling, Gregory. You know, I think it's really interesting when the music industry is, is searching so desperately to try and understand why people are buying less and less, uh, less CDs and less actual touchable music that I think part of the lack of value that people feel in buying these things now is that there really isn't as much to experience, whereas before I did the same thing. I'd close my door, I'd put my headphones on, I'd listen to Yes or Joni or B.B. Snow and feel completely and utterly enthralled in yeah. another world. Yeah. And, and did examine every single letter that oh, was yeah. printed on these, on these wonderful, wonderful albums. Um, we have another caller on the line, Ryan from New York. Thank you for calling Design Matters. Hi. Karen, hi Debbie. Um, hi. Speaking of albums, Karen, I know that you worked on Madonna's debut album in '83, and nice. I just want to know what was that like? Uh, yeah, well, that's my, you know, that's like my impressive, you know, <laughs> get the crowds roaring uh, story. Um, you know, the cover itself is just it's a it's a decent piece of art direction with some okay type on it. It it I don't think of it as like a design feat. But it is um, one of those, you know, kind of like moments in time. Um, you know, it was a, actually a very, very professional, uh, uneventful experience. Um, the designer, does the artist have feedback? Do they yay and nay things? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I spent uh, quite a bit of time with Madonna. Um, I got a call from Warner Brothers uh, telling me that they have this new artist named Madonna. And when I got the call and I heard the name, I, mean, I rolled my eyes. I thought, yeah, Madonna, like, what are, what is that? A one-name person, you know, share, <laughs> that whole thing. 
And I thought, oh, it's going to be one of these, like, cheesecake, dopey, sort of discotheque sort of, you know, cover shoots and, like, ugh, all right, fine. And I wasn't that excited about it, frankly, because I'd been on a lot of shoots like that before and had to deal with a certain level of vanity. And it wasn't it wasn't cerebral in any way, God knows. But when I met her, um, she had just come to New York, and she they I think they were uh, put her in a, a loft on 13th Street, and uh, you know she showed me and took me around, and you know she was very um, I mean she was hardly warm and cuddly, but she was not uh, you know mean spirited or anything. She was just a pro, I think. And um, we I had her to a shoot, um, you know, and I hired a photographer, and it wasn't anybody famous, but someone who I thought was very good at what they did, a guy named Gary Heary. And um, we had a, a shoot. We put the music on. We put Celebrate on, you know, the whole bit. She got up there with her belly button and her, you know, plastic, you know, sort of one of those black uh, bracelets. And we actually took a lot of jewelry from Gary's wife and put them on her wrists because I felt that that was really going to be the iconic gesture on the whole cover because, that's what she had started to do, but I said, let's really up the ante and just throw every bit of jewelry we can on, and then we, I told Gary to come close and try to get her bracelet. So that, that was my big contribution to the cover. Um, and um, I, anything I asked her to do, she did. Anything Gary asked her to do, she did. She was absolutely a pro. She got up and did her thing. She danced to the music. She, she was great. She was really, I think, everything you want someone to be. Um, you know, we talked, and she told me about her dance career. She told me about her brother, and her brother was locked out of his, you know, like little things here and there that were happening in New York for her because she was kind of new to the experience on some level, uh, especially new to the experience of living in a, a decent place, and I think that was very exciting for her. Um, I think she, I'm older than she is um, a little bit, but so there was a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a generation gap where I didn't think she'd think I thought I was like her people, but in a way I think she felt she was in good hands. And um, when I suggested the cover be black and white and not color and the people at Moore Brothers wanted to color, she said, no, I, I, I trust her. She's, you know, she's right. Let's go for it. And it was painless. And that was that. Before I knew it, she was Madonna. And I had done her cover. Well, I think that that cover, it, it reminds me a lot of what happened when Robert Maplethorpe's cover of Patti Smith's Horses came out. It was one of those, again, a defining moment. You knew when you looked at that that everything was going to be different after it. And I think that, you know, whatever you might say about, you know, whether or not you felt that it was particularly well art-directed or not, I think it was the decisions that you made, the way that you created this experience with this artist that was so profound. Well, because she was a good client. I mean, I think that's really why it felt painless and seamless and why maybe it did come out fairly well for what it was because she trusted me and that's really the bottom line, yeah. you know, in the end. And I, I, have to see, I have to say I'm very grateful to her for that. Um, and maybe I was lucky to get her at the very, very beginning of her career because who knows if <laughs> she'd treat me the same way now. Well, we'll come back and talk more about the art of design. I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. My guest is Karen Goldberg. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. Fresh. 
dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio, Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Hi, this is Scott Biondich, Global Packaging Manager at the Coca-Cola Company, and I'm really excited about the upcoming Fuse brand identity and package design event in New York City this April. I'll be there revealing the critical steps to developing differentiated and preferred packaging for consumers around the world. Design gurus Rem Koolhaas and Philippe Stark, as well as brand leaders from Method, Nike, and Target, will go in-depth into the most pressing issues we face. They'll deliver cutting-edge ideas that demonstrate brand growth and bottom-line impact through innovative strategy and design. For more information, call 888-670-8200. Visit www.iirusa.com forward slash BIPD or send an email to register at iirusa.com. Mention that you heard about the event from Design Matters and you'll receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. Hey, rise to the challenge. I look forward to seeing you in the Big Apple this April 24th through the 26th at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. The challenge of change comes as ramped up due to the advent of information age and the interconnectedness of global community. In a high-tech world, the ability to embrace change, adapt, and respond accordingly is key to personal and professional success. Talking Change with Ann Powers, airing every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, explores the hows, whys, and what to do when faced with change. Embrace the new reality. Adopt transition into your personal power portfolio and tune into Talking Change with Ann Powers every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time right here on the bottom line business talk voice america business learn to thrive not just survive in business and careers unleash your full potential and greatness with the thrive factor unleashing your potential with tactical coaches and success masters hosts dory willer and eva gregory dory eva and their masters of thriving expert guests inform educate elucidate and inspire with leading edge information the thrive factor unleashing your potential with dory willer and eva gregory broadcast each thursday at 9 a.m pacific noon eastern on the voice america business channel the thrive Factor, success and inspiration at the click of a mouse. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3.47 Eastern Time, and you're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City on a very blustery day. I'm your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is designer Karen Goldberg, and I'm actually going to say that we're going to be closing the phone lines because we have that many people on the line. But we have Jennifer. Jennifer from New York. Welcome to Design Matters. Hi. I've got a quick question. It's another sort of celebrity question, and Mm -hmm. someone who has two names but probably would also be recognized by just one, and that's Martha. I was wondering what it was like to work with Martha Stewart. Um, It was uh, brief, and it was just at the time that she was um, coming out of, um, you know, her situation, let's call it. (laughs) Um, But I found her, uh, you know, kind of fantastic and delightful in, in many ways. I mean, she's everything and more. Um, so I had, I, I had a, a, you know, she's a really smart person, and uh, however you feel about her one way or the other, I think that she's in, uh, has tremendous vision. And um, I did spend one day with her, and it was, um, it was, it was fun. I really enjoyed it, and um, 
there's not much more to say about it except that it was, I mostly worked with the art directors and the creative directors with Gail and Eric, and they're extraordinary, extraordinary people in, in what they do. But uh, in terms of Martha directly, she's um, she's a kick. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for calling, Jennifer. We also have, I believe, the name is Chelsea on the line. Chelsea, welcome to Design Matters. Hi. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Karen. This question is really for either of you to answer, but when you were talking about um, albums and how little we're purchasing, I thought, as probably everyone does, it might just be my age. But I was just wondering, you know, two scenarios. Is it that these stars now are so ubiquitous and they're, you know, they're pushing soda and fast food and they're on every magazine and every e-channel? Is it that they're so ubiquitous we don't need anything personal from them anymore? Or... The flip side is there's so little tangible things purchased that maybe the exposure is the only thing they can market about themselves. I don't know. You know, I I I don't. Um, I think about the stuff a lot, but I don't. I'm not an expert on it, and I don't. I don't know if I have anything um, truly cohesive to say about it. I think that it's a very. Um, we are in the middle of a what we'll look back on as a kind of renaissance of sorts. You know just technologically, and I think that we'll realize that so much of that affects the way people, um, you know, market themselves, communicate who they are and, and all that. So I don't I don't know if I can define it or even have anything that's, you know, very intelligent to say about it. I think all that you just spoke about is, is true and more, and... Um, I, I think it's, it's a very long conversation and, and very, at this point, very theoretical, and... Um, you know, kind of a, a work in progress. Right. I mean, maybe as we get older and we get more nostalgic for things that we listen to now but didn't buy now, we'll buy it in the future. It's always the case. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, we're, you know, we're living in a day and age where the state of celebrities in, in many ways calibrates the state of our intellect, and I think it's, it's actually a rather sad time in that you can't look at any um, magazine, any, any mass-marketed magazine without seeing what weight Jennifer Aniston is now or what Nicole Richie wore last night to some party as opposed to things that are really meaningful. There was more coverage of Angelina and Julie and Brad Pitt in, in the month uh, following uh, Hurricane Katrina than there was about Hurricane Katrina. Right. Yeah, you know? I, I think, you know, it's funny because I have become this kind of rabid fan of um, <laughs> my one reality show, it's Project Runway, and I think the reason why I love it so much it's because I love to watch people make things. I like to see what they can actually do and and how they do it and process. And it, it has a kind of breath to it that I, I just love to, you know, witness in anybody. And I think that um, you you lose that kind of humanity in in whether it's a celebrity or, or anybody else. And, and I think that the more, you know, you become very distant from it, and you know it goes back to the record cover. You're, you're sort of holding that that kind of piece of what was pulp, you know, at one point, and it feels like there's some breath to it. It feels alive, and um, you know, there's something you know very uh, uh, tangible about those sorts of things. Paper is very tangible, so you know, it's it's a, it's a very long. Um, people, I'm sure, in every magazine, there's you know, people are writing about this all the time, and and I think it's uh, it's 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 definitely something that agencies, advertising agencies are grappling with. And, you know, there's a real shift in paradigm at this point, and, and everybody's in the thick of it. 
There's, there's no, no real answer to it right now. Well, thanks very much, and I find both of you ladies very inspiring, so thank you very much. Oh, thank, thank you, Chelsea. Okay. So, Karen, I want to talk about what you're doing now, what kind of projects you're doing, and how you're feeling about the work that you're doing. I know that you stopped doing book jackets. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and, and then tell us about what you're currently doing? Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's the question I – anybody, whether it's at a dinner party or, like, anybody – I hate – and anybody, and not, not that I, I'm, I'm telling you not to ask me because this is what this is for, but <laughs> I, get, I, I kind of shrivel up when people say, what are you doing now? Um, I shrivel up when people ask me what I do. Right, I know. Well, that's like, then you have to really explain it, which right. is like hell. But um, what am I doing? I'm, um, well, at this very, very minute, I'm actually doing some work with Michael K at AR, um, doing some um you know, exploratory branding stuff, you know, pitching things and right. um, having fun. How are you liking branding? I like it. I like it. I mean, I kind of feel like I know it, and I, I've done it in, in so many different ways, but never in the most kind of obvious applied sense. And so I, I um, you know, I wanted to actually, uh, you know, do it for real. And I know it sounds like, God, you've been in business for 30 years, and you haven't done, like, you know, real branding. Yet. Well, you, but, you certainly helped brand Madonna. In that yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, in a real sort yeah. of, you know, start with the product, blah, da, 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 yeah. da, da. and um, I'm I'm having a great deal of fun. I mean, I, I love Michael, and, and he's terrific to work with anyway, and so I feel very at home, but I, so far, it's been, it's been fun, and it's only been, you know, a week, but, so I'm doing that, and um, I guess over the past, you know, year so since I left Time Inc., you know, I worked on the SVA book, which was a fantastic job to be able to do. Richard Wild, um, who's been my chairman for all the years I've been at uh, SVA, started this project for each year. He gives, um, you know, a, a kind of long-term portfolio teacher to have total carte blanche over the SVA library, which is the the senior work. So that became kind of a, you know, again, it's sort of a a virtuoso project where, you know, you could just be who you are and, uh, you know, do do something that was really, you know, came from your gut. And uh, I was very happy with that, and that was a wonderful thing to work on. And um, and I've done, I've done some store identity um, over the past uh, year um, and, you know, just sort of things here and there um, since I left Time Inc. Because when I left Time Inc., I really wanted to sort of, again, reinvent myself and, work on my book a little bit and, you know, lots of puttery stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And now, since my son is going to be starting college in September, um, I'm sort of thinking about, well, what's the next thing? You know, what what my my schedule will be different. I don't have to feel like I have to go home, you know, it, and, and be there and, you know, be the good mom and maybe, you know, I could actually, like, work real late in the ways that I used to before I had a kid and you know it's like what's what's the next uh, part of my life going to bring and and I and I do believe that it's not something that you have to wait you, you can't wait for it to happen you have to like you know be uh very active in in trying to figure that out so that's what I'm doing great well, we're coming to the very close of our show. Um, I'd like to end with uh, our pop culture quiz, and this is just a little little yes, no, maybe, maybe not questions I'd like to ask at the very end. So, Karen, what is the last book that you read? Oh, my God. What was the last book that I read? I just, you know, I have no memory anymore. Oh, oh I know, I know. Oh, well, what do you, really, I'll go what back do you to secretly it. wish you could do better? Oh, my God. What could I do better? Secretly wish? Yeah. Um, 
You know, I guess I, I don't. It isn't anything like, gee, I wish I was a better swimmer or a better this or that or. Um, probably, I I think I wish I could go faster in knowing more about what I do. Like, I wish I knew more about aspects of typography or if I, I yeah. wish I could draw better, you know, or I think those are the things that, that I think just to make me better at what I actually love to do. Right. But no, I don't have, like, you know, aspirations like I wish I could be, although dancing wouldn't be bad, like in terms of, like, like swing dancing or something. Right. But other than that, I don't really think about it much. And last question, what's your favorite curse word? Fuck. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> We're taking bets. <laughs> well, Karen, thank you so much for oh, joining me today. It was fun. It was too short. <laughs> yeah, I know. Definitely. We have to do another another episode. I'd okay. like to thank Brian and Ruben at Voice America. I'd like to thank the staff and my partners at Sterling, especially Lisa Grant and Jen Simon. Joining me next week is the extraordinary cultural anthropologist, author, and brand consultant, Grant McCracken. Thank you for listening. And remember, we can talk about making a difference. We can make a difference, or we can do both. I am Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.